It's another day, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome back to Iowa's Newsworthy Past. The following episode includes items published in the Denison Bulletin in Denison, Iowa, on Thursday, October 27, 1938. It's a long line of theatrical folk who preceded the Marx Brothers. Blood will tell, they say, and it does in the careers of the ranking comic trail of the day, the Marx Brothers. Their mother, the late Mrs. Minnie Marx, was the daughter of a famous European magician, and their uncle is Al Sheen of Gallagher and Sheen. Though usually considered older, Groucho is the third of the five Marx Brothers, all of whom were born in New York. All acquired their professional names during one of their early vaudeville tours from a fellow actor. Starting with piano lessons as a youngster, Chico became a professional when still in his teens and struck out for himself on a countrywide tour. Harpo, whom Chico tried to teach, sought piano playing jobs also, but failed and became a bellhop in various hotels. Harpo joined the two brothers and presented the Four Nightingales, Finally, the name was changed to the Four Marx Brothers. Their last offering is room service, in which three of the brothers appear, and they will be seen at the Ritz Theater in Denison, Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, October 30th, 31st, and November 1st. Gillette makes political talk of great merit. 300 listeners greet him in Denison Friday afternoon and listen closely. Senator Guy M. Gillette of Cherokee made the best political speech in Denison last Friday afternoon that our people have heard in many years. It was not a speech of mudslinging, but a gentlemanly resume of the last 12 years of National Republican administration. The senator went so far as to say of his opponent, L.J. Dickinson, He is a likable fellow, honest and sincere, and I like him, but I don't like his brand of politics. Senator Gillette spoke to 300 in the Ritz Theater. On the stage were the Senator, Chairman Andrew Bell, and all the local Democratic candidates. Chairman Bell presided, and he took occasion to introduce the local candidates at the outset of the meeting. His introduction was without flattery, because none of the candidates needed that kind of an introduction. As each individual was introduced, he came forward and made a few remarks, and received a round of applause. Those introduced were Ed Hegdorn for Sheriff, John A. Holland for Supervisor, 1st District E.M. Peters for Clerk of the District Court, John H. O'Connor for a District Judge, William J. Dressen for Representative, Robert Brannon for County Attorney, William Sonichen for Supervisor of District No. 3, Franz Groth for Recorder, Arthur Israel for Auditor, and M.L. Collins for Treasurer. After the introduction, Chairman Bell prefaced his introduction of Senator Gillette with a stirring talk on state politics and drew forth much applause by his remarks. On taking the platform, Senator Gillette eulogized the local candidates and spoke particularly of Ed Hagdorn, whom he knew in Cherokee as an athlete. The senator then launched into a review of the last 12 years of the Republican administration ending in 1932 
and recalled to his listeners the gradual sucking of wealth out of the Middle West and into the East by the policies followed by that administration. Today we hear the Republicans say you can't beat Santa Claus, but we didn't hear a thing about Santa Claus when this section of the country was paying the bill for Eastern expansion. Capping his review of the Republican administration with the question, do we want to go back to those times? Brought forth many no's. There are two things I hate to hear, Senator Gillette said, and neither is true. First, that everything the administration has done is wrong. Second, that everything the administration has done is perfect. Everything has not been perfect, but we have come a long ways on the road back. Gillette compared the plea of Hoover and Dickinson for a return to old guard policies with the story of the boy whose father had been critically ill for a long time. During that period, the old gentleman had been growing gradually worse, but the old doctor assured the son that all he needed was to be let alone. The doctor continued in his view when the father's condition became critical, insisting that his health was just around the corner, until the son, in desperation, employed a new doctor. Under the care of the new physician, the father became gradually better, slowly but surely. But the old doctor was unhappy. Returning to the son, he begged to again take charge of his father, assuring him that he had intended all of the time to take some action to cure him and expressing grave concern over the methods of treatment used by the new doctor, winding up his plea with the last desperate argument of, Look at the bill he is running up on you. Comparing his opponent, Senator Dickinson, to the old doctor, Gillette reviewed his record as a legislator and a consistent voter against almost every measure calculated to aid the Middle West, both before and after the inception of the New Deal. Let the Republicans take a definite stand on what they don't like about the New Deal and let them tell us what present measures they plan to repeal and where they intend to make the reduction in expenditures that they claim to oppose, Gillette said. They have not and do not dare to make a definite stand. The senator also read extracts from the congressional record showing how Dickinson had voted on more than 30 different bills coming before the Senate, bills that were important to the farmer of Iowa and the nation at large. The audience, numbering more than 300, gave the senator the closest attention, and at the end of his talk, many remained to shake his hand and compliment his stand on the affairs of today. The senator has a commanding appearance, a pleasing countenance, and his oratorical ability is unquestioned. He is honest in his convictions and is proud of the days when he operated a small dairy near Cherokee. Rural Women on Home Problems in Four Meetings 75 farm homemakers of the county met October 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. Meet again November 8th to 11th. 75 farm homemakers of Crawford County met October 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th in a series of four social and educational meetings held in various parts of the county. Purposes of the meetings were to afford an opportunity for all farm women in various sections of the county to get acquainted and to inform them of aids to homemaking available through the Home Economics Extension Program. Mrs. Mary Wood McClintock, the specialist, reported that in a survey made a short time ago, it was found that 86% of the dresses purchased were ready to wear 
and 97% of the coats. It is thus seen that the problem of clothing the family is one of knowing how to buy wisely rather than lessons in sewing. Music will again be a sub-project this year. The plan outlined by Miss Fanny Buchanan will include a study of several well-loved selections from the operas Samson and Delilah, Hansel and Gretel, and others. To be appreciated, these numbers must be heard and studied. Farm homemakers are becoming electricity conscious, and with the coming of the REA, definite problems arise in regard of selection of fixtures, placing of lights, and outlets. Agents selling appliances with plausible stories for their products will haunt doorsteps. County Agent Paul Johnson and Mrs. Brian Weberg, County Home Project Chairman, are planning to have an electrical specialist come to Crawford County to give special instructions on things necessary to know how to obtain the greatest efficiency from electricity in the home. Dates will be announced later. The four hostesses for the parties were Mrs. Leo Brun, Mrs. George Dieter, Mrs. Paul Johnson, and Mrs. J.R. Hunter. Mrs. Mary Wood McClintock, the specialist, who will be the instructor for the project this year, presented Tricks in Clothes Grooming which gave timely hints on padding a warped ironing board and information on selection and preparation of ironing board covers. The next lesson will be presented to rural homemakers the week of November 8th to 11th and will be information concerning what to know in buying shoes, hose, and gloves. Training school centers will be announced later. Spec fined $250 for criminal libel. Judge McCord places a fine. Charles Speck, editor of The Spotlight, mimeographed labor paper published here, who was recently found guilty of criminal libel in a jury trial, was fined $250 by Judge R.L. McCord Monday morning after motion for a new trial was overruled. Speck was tried on one of 10 criminal libel indictments and upon failure to pay the fine Monday morning was taken to jail by Sheriff Green.